0: How many of you are thankful for the goodness of God? You're thankful for the goodness of God. And how many of you are already blessed just for being here today? You just feel blessed? And uh, today, I want you to thank this worship team. They did such a good job in uh, setting the table. I think our West Valley campus today uh, in Woodland Hills, they're handing out Christmas trees tonight at six o'clock, and they have 400 of them. I don't know how long it'll take them to get rid of those, but they're giving them away. And uh, if you swing by there and you can get in line, you might pick one up to be for yourself, or you can take one to give to someone who needs a, a tree. So, they're doing that over on the Woodland Hills campus. And I hope that everybody had a blessed Thanksgiving, right, a good Thanksgiving. And I want to thank Pastor Jeff for preaching last week on Psalm 107. And uh, we all have a lot to uh, consider when we think about all that God has done uh, for us. Today, uh, I'm thankful that you're here. And I even went out, so I always go out right before church and look at the people who are sitting outside. So I know who's here, both indoor and out. Uh, but today, we start a brand new series, if you look at your cover, called It's a Wrap. It's a Wrap. For most people, and I think that you're a normal person for the most part, amen, amen, amen. For the most part, this past year, as far as troubles and trials and difficulties go, these last 11 months have been one for the record books. It really has been discouraging on so many levels. And we come to what's, The final month, the month of December, can you believe it's December, but we're at the final month of a somewhat difficult year, and I think we'll look back one day and realize how God was with us every day. We'll see that more clearly, but I have the sense just talking to people that we're all ready to wrap up this year, put a bow on it, and kiss it goodbye, It's my belief that the best medicine to cure all that ails us is for us to study the biblical account of God sending his son into this world as a baby on that first ever Christmas morning. Amen? I want to show you what we're going to look at this entire month. Today, I'm going to speak to you on this subject from loneliness to God with us. Next week, the message will be from impossible to possible. And then the Sunday right before Christmas, we're going to have a message called from downtrodden to uplift, uplifted. And then Christmas Eve, we're going to do something different this year. Just because of the pandemic, uh, we're going to ask, uh, normally we have a candlelight service here, and we have services like too many to count. But we've recorded Christmas Eve service, and we're going to ask just this year because of the pandemic, we want you to get communion elements and candles ready. And uh, we have a service that will be about 30 minutes, maybe 35 at the longest. We're going to play it every hour at the top of the hour, so 12 o'clock noon, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, all day long on Christmas Eve. And we're going to ask that you would gather your household together And to find that 30-minute window throughout the course of that day to have Christmas Eve service just with your family. We'll have Christmas music. uh, We'll have uh, communion. We'll lead you uh, to light those candles when it's time. We'll actually sing Silent Night together at the very end like we normally do. But just because of this year, we're going to do it virtually uh, this year. Now, but it, it wraps up this series. What you're going to see in this series, all four messages, is how God takes difficult situations in our life, and he turns them into blessed situations. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, as I speak to you today, from loneliness to God with us. According to Slate Magazine in two recent surveys, people suffering from loneliness from the 1980s has doubled from 20% to 40%. That is not included this year. That survey was before this year. It would not surprise me if the number has doubled again. As many as 80% of Americans suffering from some form of loneliness. They've actually done studies, and I've read some of these studies on elderly people, and social isolation, which has been forced upon us. They have concluded in these studies that those without adequate social interaction were twice as likely to die early. That increased mortality risk from loneliness is comparable to that of smoking and twice as dangerous as obesity. Social isolation impairs The immune system, it boosts inflammation, which can lead to arthritis, type 2 diabetes, and even heart disease. So loneliness is not just making us sad, loneliness is lethal in many, many ways. Now, this may or may not surprise you, but as we go through these Christmas messages, again, all four of them, you will discover that when God first sent his son Jesus into this world, at that time the world was a lonely, lonely, lonely place. Right before Jesus was born, most Jews believed that God had forsaken them. They were being ruled by the Romans, a morally corrupt government that was overreaching into their lands, into their cities, and into their lives. Rising taxes by the Romans were taking their toll. Freedoms were being lost. And there was a wicked king named Herod was the ruler. God had not spoken to them via a prophet for some 400 years. The Jews literally felt forsaken And as far as they were concerned, any king or Messiah that they were looking for would have been a military king who would help them overthrow the pagan Romans controlling Palestine. And it's in that context, it's in that landscape that Jesus arrives So as you have your outlines, as we go through this text, my first point, I want you to write this down. We begin this story with what I call big trouble from the start. Big trouble. Everybody say big trouble. This is not little trouble. This is big trouble. And you know this story. Mary is pregnant. This is how the story starts. Mary is pregnant and her fiance, he doesn't know much. But he knows this that he's not the father. Now, anyone here can surmise the surprise and the shock, and the anger, and the heartache that Joseph must have felt when he learns that the girl that he's engaged to, and the girl of his dreams, and the girl that he loves, and the girl that he wants to marry, and the girl that everyone thinks is so pure, shows up pregnant. And the only thing he knows is that he's not the father because he's never slept with her in a biblical sense. Verse 18, here's how it goes. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged, which means that she was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the what? Through the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, the New International Translation says that he was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. The most important story in the history of the world begins with a young carpenter Named Joseph, who's engaged to a young girl named Mary, who's a pretty good girl. And while they're planning their wedding ceremony, she shows up pregnant. Now, we know that the Bible teaches us that Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit, but Joseph doesn't know that at this point. All he knows is that his babe is pregnant. So Joseph considers all of his options. Joseph is a God-fearing man. He's a righteous man. He knows the law frontwards and backwards. But the law states, write this down, the law states that Mary should be stoned at worst. W-O-R-S-T. In your notes, you can change, put a T there on the end. And divorced at least. There's only two options as far as Joseph is concerned. She should be stoned, which is what the law says, or she should be divorced. Now, there's a Bible reference there. I'm going to tell you what it says. In the Old Testament, here's what the law said in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22, that if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman both must die you must purge this evil from Israel. That's what Deuteronomy 22:22 says. And Joseph knows this. However, at this time in Judea, the Romans are in charge, and nothing that extreme could be carried out, according to the Romans. Uh, if there was going to be any corporal punishment, it would be done by the Romans, not the Jews. The Jews were not allowed to carry out corporal punishment, like stoning people to death. So his only recourse was divorce. You see, Joseph is in a horrible dilemma. If he marries her, others are going to assume that he was the one that got her pregnant out of wedlock. And since he didn't know about the Holy Spirit impregnating his wife at this point, his response is really a normal response, assuming she had been unfaithful to him. So he planned to divorce her quietly, which means he was going to do it under the radar. Either way, write this down. Either way, they would both feel shame. Stoning her to death would have been deserving under the law. But being divorced for the crimes of passion would have been publicly announced to the entire community. Her reputation would have been ruined forever. So when you read in verse 19 that Joseph didn't want to expose her to public disgrace and he had a mind to divorce her quietly, what you draw the conclusion there is Joseph's a pretty good guy. He's trying to spare her from further shame and disgrace, but he's also trying to uh, save himself from shame. But then something supernatural happens. In the midst of big trouble, there's a big talk from an angel of God. Everybody say big talk. We got big trouble, and then we got a big talk. And I want you to note that in the story, you've got all this trouble, and in the midst of all that trouble, you have this big talk from an angel of God. And in the text, the angel talks about three things. I want you to write them all down at first. I'll come back and talk about them. Number one, the angel talked about a miraculous conception. And then the angel uh, talks concerning a messianic Christ. And then the angel makes a mighty claim. So you've got a a miraculous conception, a messianic Christ, and a mighty claim. Now, the magnitude of these three angelic points cannot be overlooked. First is the miraculous conception. The miracle of all miracles, that Mary's egg was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Meaning that Jesus is fully man and fully God. People ask the question why do we celebrate the birth of this baby? I mean, every year in the United States, there's four million babies that come. Into our world. Why do we sing and worship the birth of this baby born in the Middle East 2,000 years ago? Why such a fuss about one baby born to a peasant woman in a far distant land centuries ago? Why do we do that? Well, because this baby was born of woman and born of God. It's not that he is. It's not that he's, he's not half man and half God. He's fully man and he's fully God at the same time. Now look at verse 20. After he had considered this, this is Joseph, and what is he considering? He's considering to divorcing uh, Mary quietly after he had considered this an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, "Joseph, son of son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." This is what's called the immaculate conception. And if you come back next week, you're gonna hear a sermon just about the Immaculate Conception. Notice what the angel says next in verse 21. She will give birth to a what? A son. Now, this they didn't have pregnancy tests back in those days. They didn't have those. They didn't have what we call today gender reveal parties. Didn't have that stuff. He just, in this dream, this angel shows up and says, Mary is impregnated by the Holy Spirit. She's going to give birth to a son. You can paint the room blue. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people. I want you to say, save his people. And what that means is that that this child is the Messiah. And not only is Jesus the Messiah, here's the mighty claim. He came, he came to save his people from their what? Their sin. Now, there's a little box in your notes. Jesus, that name, comes from a Hebrew name, Yahoshua, and Yehoshua is the Hebrew word. We kind of know the, 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 the Aramaic version of that word, Yeshua. But what that word means, what Jesus means, is that the name itself means Yahweh, which was the name they had for God. Jesus means Yahweh saves, that God saves. You're to name this boy God saves. And again, when Jewish people thought about a Messiah who would save them, they were thinking of a military hero who would lead them to overthrow the Roman government. Obviously, Jesus wasn't a military hero that they were looking for. Instead, Jesus came. You've got to get this point. Jesus came to save God's people from an even greater enemy than Rome. The Messiah came not to save Israel from Rome. The Messiah came to save Israel, write this down, from their own sin. The purpose of Yeshua was God coming into this world as a baby, fully man, fully God. He lived a sinless life, He goes to the cross, and he dies a sacrificial death to save people from their own sin and to give victory to people over their own sin, thus would save Israel and bring joy to the Jewish people and bring joy to the whole world. Now, in the midst of this Big essential theological talking points from an angelic being that we read and discuss every year at Christmas. I want to use our remaining time looking at our third point of our outline. We've got big trouble from the start, we've got a big talk from an angel, but number three, get this point there is big trust when it's easier to doubt. Big trust when it's easier to doubt. For me personally this is just as equally as important as anything we've looked at so far. And most times we skip right over this next this next major point. I want to read these verses to you. Look at verse 22. All of this everything that we've talked about took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the what? Through the prophet. Verse 23. That the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son And they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? Turn to your neighbor and say, God is with us. Go ahead and say, God is with us. Turn to your neighbor and say, we are not alone. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. I've got three subpoints. They're all critical to our study. Number one, the scriptures don't lie. The scriptures don't lie. I really believe that most of you already know and understand the big talk from the angel. But there are those there have to be there those here that kind of doubt some of this story and i just say to you today if you doubt any like if you doubt the virgin birth like you can't just like, you just can't get your mind around that thought if you doubt the fact that this is god coming into the world in the form of a baby and that he's fully man and fully god and You just can't get over the fact that the Savior of the entire world came from a little tiny town called Bethlehem. Listen, if you doubt any part of the Christmas story, all you need to do is study the Scriptures. The Scriptures don't lie. Verse 22 said that all of this came about to fulfill what the prophets had said. The proof is not in the pudding, the proof is in the prophets. And just study the Scriptures. I've given you just four. There's hundreds of them. The Bible prophesied back... Hundreds of years before in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 that if the Messiah, when he ever arrives, he will be born of a virgin. You see that fulfilled in in this text in Matthew chapter 1 verse 22. The Bible prophesies in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 that the Messiah would come out of a little tiny town called Bethlehem. You see that prophecy fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2 verse 1. In Hosea chapter 11 verse 1, it's prophesied that the Messiah would somehow come up out of Egypt. He would be born in Bethlehem, but he would come up out of Egypt. You see that fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. And then the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15, that during that time that there will be weeping in the land over children. And we know according to Matthew chapter 2 that that was fulfilled when Herod ordered all the male babies in Bethlehem and the vicinity to be killed. Everything in this story uh, was fulfilling what the prophets had foretold. Here's my second sub-point. God shows up in the midst of our mess. It's a major point that's very rarely talked about in the Christmas story. At this time again, the world was in disarray. The Romans, corrupt government was in charge the jewish people felt forsaken god had not spoken to them through a prophet for 400 years the temple had become a flea market the central figure to our story is mary and she's pregnant out of wedlock Joseph's heart is broken. He's in uh, despair. He's filing in his mind divorce papers. The girl of his dreams is unfaithful. He's broken. He's lonely, perhaps even bitter. And it's in that mess that God shows up. Emmanuel, God with us. Yes, there's this spiritual and theological side of this story that the creator, God of the universe, enters into the world in the form of a baby, but there's a practical and pragmatic viewpoint that God willingly left the glories of heaven to come into our messed up world and into our messed up lives to be with us, to love us, to comfort us, to lead us, to provide us, and to bless us. Christmas is not just the fact that God was willing to help us in our mess. Far more importantly than being willing to, he actually wanted to help us in our mess. That in spite of our mess, that he desires to be with us. Did you know that even I get tired of being around me? But that God loves me? and God loves you, and he's willing to come into our mess because he wants to be with us for all of eternity. Can somebody praise the Lord because of that? On June 5th, 1978, there was a seven-year-old boy named Martin Turgeon who slipped off a wharf and fell into the Prairie River up in Canada. There were at least a dozen adults who saw him fall, struggling in the water before he sank and drowned. Not one of them dove in to rescue the boy. Why? Well, because just upstream there was a plant that dumped raw sewage into the river. The the river was filthy and dangerous to one's health, So nobody jumped in to rescue Martin Turgeon. And it's easy for us at times to view God as one of the overlookers standing on the wharf of the Prairie River. We think that God thanks and says, I'm not diving into the mess of your life until you get out of that putrid river on your own. You see, I'm a holy God. So you clean your your act up first And then I will accept you and embrace you and love you and help you. But in this text, in this story, we meet a God who says, I'm coming into your life before you clean yourself up. I'm coming after you in your mess And I will clean you, and I will restore you, and I will redeem you, and I will love you today, tomorrow, and every day for the rest of time. What a radical idea. You know, a nice, decent God would say something like, you know what, I'll send somebody down there to help you. Like, I'll send you maybe a sacred proverb, or maybe a couple of angels, I'll loan you. But Christmas shows us that God didn't just stand on the wharf and send someone else with some religious sayings. No, God himself personally jumped into the putrid waters because we were valuable to him. We are loved by him. We matter to him. That's crazy over-the-top love of God stuff right there. As we close, how many of you still with me? You're still with me. Look again at verse 24, Joseph wakes up. Now, if you see someone sleeping next to you, wake them up right now. They, They need to get this last point here. Everybody say the word before. Before the dream, in his mind, he was leaning towards divorcing Mary, letting her raise the child alone. He was filing papers, he was moving on with his life, figuring out how to put the broken pieces of his life back together again. But that was before the dream. After the dream, after the big talk from the angel of God, he decides to stay in the relationship. And he, he makes Mary his wife, and he decides to love her unconditionally And to raise the child and to love the child as his own. You've got to get this point. Joseph goes from being a man of the law back in verse 19 to being a man of grace here in verse 24. I want you to think about that. He goes from being a man of the law to being a man of grace. From the... From the the instant that Jesus arrives, even at conception, he caused righteous people to rethink what it meant to be righteous. Joseph could have walked away and still be considered righteous, but God called him to a new standard of love to a whole new way of being a good person. A good person is no longer someone who avoids sin and just follows all the rules. A good person is someone who follows the way of Christ and seeks to walk through people's messes with them. This past year, it's... It's been just one big mess. And many people have wondered Has has God left us? Has God abandoned us? Some people have lost jobs. Some people have lost the ability to provide for the family. Some people have actually lost family members. And besides all the heartache and the pain of the pandemic, We live in a day and age where our culture is full of what's called functional atheists. You say, what's a functional atheist? A functional atheist is someone who says with their words that they believe in God, but by their actions, they live as though God doesn't even exist. They're functional atheists. Many people here have put their trust in other things other than God, they've put their trust in their wealth. They've put their trust in relationships. They put their trust in success or in food or in alcohol or at work. And if you're trusting in any other idol, if any other idol is your God, it means that you do not truly believe that Jehovah God exists and that He came to save. you certainly don't act like God lives inside of you by following those things. And believing, believing that God came to this earth, Emmanuel, God with us, and believing that God lives inside of us is the core of Christian faith. In the past, the Jewish people they believed that God lived up there at the temple where the flea market was going, up there in that little box called the Holy of Holies. They believed that's where God lived, and they would run up there once in a while and see Him and then leave. But today we know and understand that God, Emmanuel, came to dwell within each of us who believe that God is here. In the same way, think about it, Jesus himself was fully God and fully man. And somehow in these fleshly bodies, God through his spirit comes and lives and dwells inside of us. It's it's a miracle that we live with each and every day of our life. Emmanuel, God with us, write this down. Emmanuel, God with us. Well, in the flesh, well, he's just a baby. God came in the flesh, he's a baby. God with us as a redeemer means that Jesus is savior. He came to save us from our sin, amen? How many many of you thankful about that? But God with us forever, because he says I'll never leave you or forsake you, means that he's our friend. God is our friend. And he lives and dwells within each of us. Let's stand and bow our heads for just a word of prayer. And uh, thank you so much for coming today. How many of you were blessed just being here to church? Oh, oh, okay, all right. You you bless me. You bless me. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the Christmas story. There, there. <laughs> we, we need it. We need it more now than we've ever needed it before. God, we are so guilty of living every day, just all we do is think about the mess in our life instead of being focused on the Messiah. I I just pray, God, that through this series where so many of us have felt beaten up and downtrodden and discouraged, and we just feel like we're just in this unending pattern of where everything just keeps going wrong that that is exactly when the miracle happens that's exactly when God shows up to be with us and to walk through this mess and to carry us over to the other side Lord I pray that you would recalibrate our hearts and recalibrate our minds help us don't live like functional atheists but help us with our mouth to proclaim that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son, the living God, and then help us to live that way. Help us to live where our life exemplifies and reflects the love of God and the life of Christ. God, I wanna pray for every man, every woman, every boy and every girl who's here today. I pray for every couple. I pray for every family. I pray for every child. I I ask God that you would just watch over us and continue to be with us. Help us to never forget Emmanuel, God with us, that he's here, that there is nothing that that we need to be afraid about, there's nothing that we need to worry about, that you are a God who cares and you are a God who left the glories of heaven to come to this earth, to redeem us, to restore us, that we would be called your sons and your daughters. I pray this, In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. God bless you, and thank you for coming to church. God bless you.